In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We saw yesterday that Mary was preserved so so that no stain of sin ever touched her. And by a very special grace, in virtue of a special grace from God, she could thereby be the mother of the Savior, who in turn would save us from our sins. Of course, she too exalts our Lord as her as her Savior. She says, uh, "My my soul exalts in in God, my Savior." But of course, the Church understands that it doesn't mean she didn't need the Savior, but but she needed it in provision of or instead of being say instead of being saved from. Sin. She she was preserved from sin. It's kind of like a, a dad who takes his children to the pool, and uh, the young child is very eager, but is too young to swim, and uh, and the, wants to go swimming with the others. But the the father is keeping an eye out for her, knowing she's too eager. The little child's too eager to go. And then, as he's watching her, he he sees her on the edge of the of the pool, and as she loses her balance and is about to fall, he grabs her before she falls into the pool. That's preserving her from falling into the quote unquote pool of sin. But if she had already fallen in, and he would have jumped in after to rescue her, well, then he she would have been in the pool of sin, and he would have saved her also one way is what our Lord did with us by serving by like pulling us out of the pool of sin the other way is kind of like the superior way which in which our Lord saved his blessed mother before she could even fall into the pool and therefore she was preserved but if she was preserved in such a unique way it was because because God had a very special plan for her of course, we are all saved by God in virtue of the merits of Jesus on the cross, and Mary too was saved, but somehow that made her soul all the more beautiful, all the more holy. And uh, what we were, I guess, about to talk about yesterday in the meditation was how St. Paul compares uh, Jesus to Adam, how Jesus is, is the new Adam. And this comparison was later carried on by the fathers and became deeply ingrained in the church who thought about Mary and uh, thought about her as the new Eve. Just as Eve had sinned, so Mary was now the new Eve. Let's try to understand that as we pray about this 
during this novena, how we know that, that comparison, just as Adam's obedience, or rather, just as Adam's disobedience to God allowed sin and damnation to enter the world, well, the obedience of Jesus, the new Adam, who was obedient to his, the plans of his loving Father, allowed the, the, the salvation to enter into the world. Because originally Adam was sinless. He entered into the world without sin and was made to live in that garden, to cultivate it, to take care of it. But he threw away this sinless status through that disobedience. After that, there was this awkwardness in his life. But Jesus kept his sinless status. And... Um, and that's why Jesus said the, the devil is indeed the ruler of the world. So as we see this, the old Adam, the new Adam, the old Eve, the new Eve, it's certainly something that St. Irenaeus picked up on and developed. And, uh, and by the time that, that Mary was going to be born, as we consider this now, there was in the air a great, great sense of expectation. Everybody understood because the Babylonian captivity left a, a deep and intense mark on the people of Israel, people of Judah, really. And it, and it, it left on them a kind of a deep sense of expectation. They knew that they had gone through all this, they had been, the, the temple had been looted, they they had been taken away from their, their, their land. And now there was a kind of a, now that they were back, there was a kind of a, a wave of emotion that cursed through the people of Judah, through the land. And this was just before the Christian era. And I would say that when Mary was born, that's what we want to focus in, how the, her, her birthday, her day of her birth, there was a there was a sense of expectation uh, a kind of uh, giddiness in the air you could say even even the pagan world as uh, we know from the some of the ancient roman uh, narratives showed signs that that there was something great coming in an imminent way there was the pax romana which was a universal peace that was established by octavius augustus just a few years before the birth of Jesus, and uh, was a kind of a harbinger of the true king of peace that was going to come. Right? People thought, okay, now we're in a time of peace, and, but the real peace was just around the corner. The time was ripe for there to be a real savior. And the Holy Virgin in that time, the most exalted of all women, the creature best love of God, you know, conceived that original sin, she was born in deep and abiding silence. Nobody knew who she was. Nobody knew that she was going to be the vehicle. We can picture her in the autumn when the fields are ready for sleep and uh, there's no fanfare. They didn't take photos and send them out to relatives when she was born. When, when your friends have a baby, they always email you a photo 
and all babies look exactly the same. There's nothing different from, there's nothing different. They just, oh, how cute, yeah, you know. Just all the, exactly the same. Uh, well, maybe, okay, well, I mean, maybe some difference, but I, don't, I can't tell the difference. But uh, you know, they're just bundled up in the sleep, usually wearing a little hat of some kind, a little toque. And they say, well, at the same time, Mary probably looked like any other baby at the time. Nobody living at the time was aware of what was happening. Only the angels of heaven rejoiced. And there are paintings showing the birth of Mary, sometimes with, um, with uh, you know, handmaids uh, helping in washing her and stuff, and, and Anne there in her bed. And she was a descendant of David, as the prophet had said, when speaking of the Messiah, that a shoot, a shoot, shall spring forth from the stump of Jesse, and from the roots a bud shall blossom. And St. Paul, when he, he writes to the Romans, says that Christ was born also from the line of David, according to, according to the flesh. Of course, that shoot was, was our Lord himself, but our Lord came from the shoot that was Mary. And we know from the Proto-Evangelium of James, in the apocryphal gospel of that time, that her name, the, rather her parents' names, were Joachim and uh, St. Anne. And uh, that's why we, well, we have in Quebec, in uh, St. Anne de Beaupré, we have a, a beautiful... Well, I don't know if it's beautiful, but we have a, a, a relic there of St. Anne's uh, arm. Um, and it has its origin in St. François de Laval, who brought it over. He had a great devotion to St. Anne. How on earth he got the relic of St. Anne? I mean, like, I have no idea how that came about. Even an arm, I mean, like a piece, piece of the arm. I guess, I mean, I understand, you know, Relics from the time of Jesus are pretty hard, but like from Jesus's grandparents, I mean, whoa, that's uh, that's impressive, you know. But uh, anyway, that that was uh, probably a lot of it had to do from the Middle Ages when they went there to the Holy Land, because among the first pilgrimages were pilgrimages to the Holy Land and precisely pilgrimages to the birthplace of Our Lady. They wanted to go to the home of Our Lady. And probably there were traditions that, well, this is where Anne was buried, and some lucky soul found the, found the, yeah, the burial place of uh, Anne and brought those relics back. And bones are among those relics that tend to last a long time. And uh, there are even ruins in the Byzantine Basilica from the 5th century that have been found that were built over a house called the House of St. Anne near the probatic pool. So, I mean, it's not completely impossible, but, uh, but the, that was why pilgrims went, right? They went to want to go to the Holy Land to go to the home of Mary. And, of course, we can imagine that prior to the birth of Mary, uh, the earth was in darkness, it was wrapped in sin, and with her birth comes the dawn, really, of salvation, and it's heralding a new day. 
something is exciting in the air. Her presence among the people of Judah uh, was so discreet, almost, uh, well, pretty much unnoticed by her contemporaries. And yet it shone so beautifully to the Eternal One, to the angels. It reminds us sometimes that we sometimes evaluate ourselves by the fanfare that we make, you know, the, 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 the sort of external effect that we have on others. And if people recognize us, they like us, and we get so many followers and all that stuff, uh, and we think that that's what determines our value. Right? And it's good now in our, in our prayer that we reevaluate that and we say, wait, 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 my real value is how you see me, Lord, just as you saw the Blessed Virgin Mary. The, the way you see me, if you're happy with me, it's, it's really quite secondary whether people even acknowledge me or, or praise me or recognize me in any way. And, you know, yesterday we, we, we spoke about the novena in terms of apostate and our duty to do apostate with St. Andrew, but um, the, the apostles never lost a sense of active engagement, but now it's also time, if we think of Our Lady and her birth, to think also about this in terms of vocation. I mean, she was born right there from the start with a vocation to be the mother of God. That she would have had signs that this was her vocation, that, that God wanted her to be this. There's no reason that she would have been you know, miraculously illuminated in some great and special way. There's no reason... She, you know, she God gave her an intellect and a capacity to understand, right? And of course, the illumination came, of course, with uh, the angel Gabriel, right, who, who told her that she would have that vocation. But, but all that time, in preparation for the coming of the of the Annunciation, she was thinking. After all, she decided, you know, to to live a life of uh, to, to to safeguard her virginity because. Somewhere there, she understood that God wanted something special from her. And that must have come from her, her life of prayer. And that's why the, the vocation of Mary, after all, that's what made her, made her so prompt in responding to the angel, has to lead us to think about our vocation, my vocation. That is God's divine plan in my life. What is God's plan? What is God's plan for me? What does he want from me? Am I sensitive to it? Do I acknowledge it? Hmm? Now, St. Bonaventure says that God could have made a greater world, but he could not have made a mother more perfect than the mother of God. He could have made a, a greater world, but he could have made the Alps even more incredible. Hmm? He could have made uh, Lake Ontario even bigger. Hmm? But he could not have made a more beautiful mother of God. And we think of this when we, when we see a beautiful sunset or a splendid forest or, you know, he, you know, he maxed out his plans and his abilities with her because she is so intimately associated with the plan of redemption, with the, obviously with the, with the incarnation. And therefore, he maxed out his plan for her in and through her vocation. And vocation, 
This was her vocation to be the mother of God. This was her purpose. That was the meaning of her life. And since she understood this so deeply, she was able to to suffer anything that had to be suffered. She was able to stand there at the foot of the cross. And we too are, you know, we too have to tap into the, the same beauty that Our Lady had insofar as our life measures up to God's plans for us. And... Uh, in some ways you could say this is what will make you beautiful will, will make you amazing not human success not recognition not fantastic health not being able to bench press 190 right? with, with all due respect to those who are able to to bench press a lot of uh, you know pounds that's good we have to do our best we have to, do, we have to try to bench but but uh, and so, you know, we, we, we have this joy of contemplating the plenitude of Our Lady's grace, but we should not forget that God gives unfailingly to each person sufficient grace to bring about the specific mission in the world to completion. Right? So God, he has, like a, he has like a package for you, waiting for you. And it's sufficient for what you need to do. And of course, you know, when it's somebody's birthday, and you know it's somebody's birthday, we always celebrate a person's birthday, and you might make a mistake on how old a person is. Like it's never, it's never, never a good thing to ask a woman how old she is. It's just like, do not do that, right? Do not do that. Do not say, oh, how, hi, how old are you today? Just don't do it, right? I, I recommend you do not do that. Um, because they don't want you to know that they're getting old, right? Or, you know, they always try to hide it, the makeup and all that. And, uh, you know, they try to kind of keep you in the illusion that, you're, that they're young, right? And, of course, if they go out and blurt out how old they are, well, then the illusion is gone, right? They want you to think that they're younger than they really are. Now, what about Our Lady? How old is Our Lady? How old was Our Lady, you know, when, when she gave birth to the Messiah? Well, as, as with God, you know, time, uh, you know, and, uh, and age no longer have any significance for her. She, you could say, she reached the fullness of age, this kind of eternal youth in the, you know, and, and she always had this youthfulness, this vigor. I sometimes say that she, she was like 14 years old or whatever when she gave birth. Um, but you know, she uh, she had this inner youth, I would say, because she had a dynamism about God's plan for her. And we think of the example of uh, Mother Teresa. You know, Pope Francis canonized her a few years ago, and there was a lot of media attention around that, a lot of focus on her life, right, and how she gave herself completely to the poor and to the helpless. And uh, she gave them love, and um, and uh, the prelate or prelate, the father mentioned that he had met her a couple of times, and he said, uh, "I saw how she was becoming more and more bent over uh, as time went by, as can happen to us when we get older. We get like you know, bent over." 
Her particular vocation as a missionary of God's charity led her to continuously bend over spiritually to welcome an abandoned person or cure wounds of body or soul. It was as though her spiritual bending over the poor and the sick was also becoming uh, physical. She was becoming older, more bent over, but her soul was still very young and vibrant. And why? Because she was saying yes to her divine vocation. Her soul was young and vibrant, even though she was crouched over and old. I remember, I have a very, I've probably told you this before, but I have a very good recollection. Literally, I think it was maybe something like 10 or 15 days after I was ordained in 1994, I was asked to go to be a translator in the Synod of Bishops for religious. So it was a, uh, you know, all these bishops came to talk about what the role of the religious are. Some even doubted if we should still have the religious, if that's still, uh, you know, a vocation and stuff. And of course they decided, no, we should have the religious. That's a very good thing. And, uh, and you know, they gave us all these texts, all the bishops just going on and on and on and on. And uh, it's, it's, one of the, it's one of the most tiring jobs to translate all these uh, texts as your their simultaneous translations, right? This was with Pope John Paul II, and uh, and uh, after a, m- a morning of on intense ongoing uh, translation, uh, we had to well, we went for lunch, and uh, there was only one staircase to get from that floor where we were, and uh, it was a fairly narrow staircase, and there was a hallway. And uh, there, I was lined up just to go down this staircase, and there were all these cardinals and bishops and stuff ahead of me, and cardinals and bishops behind me. I looked, I looked, I looked. Bishops, cardinals, cardinals, cardinals. And I looked behind me. Bishops, cardinals, cardinals. And I said, "When are these guys going to get moving?" You know. And uh, and then I, as I looked behind me, I suddenly looked down, and there's Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa crouched over like this. You know, amongst all the cardinals, and I hadn't noticed her at all. You know, and uh, so I said to her, "Oh, Mother Teresa, hello, how are you?" And uh, um, she said, "I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you?" And I told her, well, "Mother Teresa, I, I, I actually was just ordained, literally 15 days ago." Oh, God bless you, God bless you. And uh, so I happened to have ready a little, one of those little souvenir cards with an image of the Holy Family by Murillo. And I said, here, take this. And my name was on it and everything. And, and uh, she said, I said, if you could, I would really like it if you could pray for me. And uh, she took the image. And I've never seen somebody kiss an image of Our Lady like that. She just went, like that. And then, put it and she said I know you will be a very good priest and then she put it in her pocket right and uh, who knows what happened to that card obviously I have no idea no but uh, it's probably you know it's probably maybe it's a relic now I don't know maybe it's a relic because because she kissed it you know and uh, but again she was crouched over all those cardinals around her standing and stuff but she was just her piety showed her youth right and and that was the fruit of her ongoing gift of herself but above all this conviction of her divine vocation and Lord I want I want to keep a youthful and vibrant vocation you know, I, you know and, and Our Lady was 
beautiful. She's always shown beautiful in paintings, as we know. She's never shown old. And um, because this is not because getting old is bad. Getting old is okay. Mother Teresa was old, you know. But you know, so, you know, some trees they get they get old and wide and crackly and and broad with a very wide canopy, and they seem to look nice. But then you look inside, and they're all you know they're all worms. And they have a lot of worms and and rotten, you know. And uh, with age. We ask that. Now, don't let me get worm-ridden and rotten on the inside. I want to be old, yes. Alzheimer's, yes. Uh, bent over, yes. Wheelchair, fine. I'll take that. But inside, I want to be youthful. Youthful. And where does that come from? Correspondence to my divine vocation. That is what gives youth. And... And we ask that now. Let me be inwardly young, with a good heart, with our like almost like with branches reaching out to heaven. And you know, this only comes when we have a heart that is irrigated with the waters of God's love. Irrigated with the waters of God's love, as our Blessed Mother was. And this is why we want to see if our love of God is is truly youthful and vibrant, uh, or, or if we've gotten a bit old and tired and routine and uninterested and if if anywhere we have seen symptoms of that terrible disease of the will which is luke lukewarmness it's a disease it's a, it hampers our piety and uh, we can ask that lord in our prayer now lord i never want to rot from within i never want to rot from within i want to be young and vibrant happy to be your son. I want my vocation always to inspire me, to make me happy that I said yes. As our Blessed Mother said, Fiat me, segundo verbum tuum, be it done unto me according to your word. And she was young, from the, obviously from the day she was born, but she kept that youth all her life, even when she was there at the foot of the cross. And, and then, you know, one of the things it'll do is it'll kind of like perk us up, perk us up all the time. Uh, alive with love and precisely that same zeal for the apostolate when we we look forward to the forging our future we do it what do you want from me lord what what that's what my future i want to do what you want and when we look back in our past when we examine the past we do it with thanksgiving because we know that that attitude of thanksgiving and gratitude is the result of our awareness that God has been accompanying us all our life, and the best reaction to that accompaniment, that reality, is men of thanksgiving, men of gratitude, which is you know what Our Lady did when she said the Magnificat. You know, my soul rejoices in God, my Savior. You know, He has done great things for me. You know, that's totally an act of thanksgiving. And so let us, as we contemplate her birth, let's see that. Do I have a youthful spirit? Do I have a deep sense of my vocation? Maybe I still have to articulate that. Maybe I'm, uh, I don't have that clear yet. We have to talk about it. We have to you know, articulate it, figure it out. What is it? We have to be able to say, this is my vocation. Like, like on, a, on a form, you know, when you say, what is your address? 156 St. George. What is your date of birth? Uh, 1963. What is your, you know, and then we, what is your vocation? And then you have to be able to answer that. You have to be in one line. It has to be there. 
And we ask this of our Blessed Mother. She was the Mother of God. And she'll give us that, that sort of uh, uh, perky youth eh, that we need to say yes always to God. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.